Hello and thank you for listening to episode 280 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows and in this one I get to chat with Michael Casey. Michael wrote the movie Hangman which stars Al Pacino and Carl Urban. He wrote, produced and directed the movie Hunter's Moon which got its DVD release over here in the UK just this very week. Now with interview shows of course there's all the pre-production, the planning of it and part of that is working out with the guest how long have I got with you and we sorted that out with Michael and as you'll hear we got to that pre-agreed amount of time and he was more than happy to carry on talking which is absolutely awesome because if you want to know anything about producing or screenwriting or directing or indie filmmaking or so much more to do with the movie business well then you've got the right show in your ears right now. But before we get to that chat with me and Michael, let's have a little listen to Hunter's Moon. Police are advising anyone to not travel alone in the wake of the ongoing search for this killer. Julia, look, I know you're not happy about the move, but you have to trust me, this is what's best for our family. How many are there? Mom, Dad, couple girls. <laughs> it just got a whole lot easier for us. Any luck on locating them boys? No, Sheriff. Sure. Let's go upstairs, get what we came for. Come on! Please, you don't have to get it. You've got to be kidding me. Good evening, ma'am. Is everything okay? I want you to close that door and lock it. There's nothing compared. I'm gonna get us out of here. Get out of the way! To the evil outside. Barricade all the windows. Nobody else is coming. <laughs> How much gas you got in that trunk? Thomas Jane. Jay Moore. Sean Patrick Flannery. Katrina Bowden. It got inside. Hunter's Moon. Right, Michael, thank you for joining me uh, for a chat and thank you for coming on video as well so I can see you. It's always good. So thanks for giving me some of your time. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to, uh, to, to do both. So thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Isn't it great as well that we live in this age where you're all the way over there on the west coast of America, where it's really hot, and I'm over here in Wales where we've just said it's absolutely pouring down, and we can still have a chat about movies and everything together. It's great. It's pretty amazing. I, I'm just thinking, like, it's. I, I talk to my kids about that all the time. It's, it, you know, I'm actually in the middle of writing a novel, and I was talking to my wife last night, too, about like, research, how quickly everything, all of this information and just the world that we live in. You know, when I was in high school, it was different. You know, the internet and all that stuff. It's just, just everything's kind of gotten to a place where I, I think people have forgotten what it used to be like. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff. I think my generation is that one that straddles the line between yeah. prior to the internet and now living in that and that kind of thing. So it's, I think it's amazing. It's really just great to be able to communicate, like you said, across the world. I mean, it's oh. how impressive is that? Definitely. And like I said, you know, the very fact that we can sit here and have a chat today is really good. I've got a lot that I want to chat with you about. Before we get into into your career, into movies, uh, into writing, producing, directing, I want to know, I mean, everybody's got certain points in their lives where they get, get into film. How did you get into it? Was there any particular film that started you with your love of the film business? Uh, tell me a bit about your history with it. Uh, yeah, so in high school, I got into uh, theater, into acting, um, and then actually into directing some theater um, towards the end of high school as well. Um, I did high school theater and then I did uh, local theater on the East coast. And, um, I just was really drawn to, and I don't been writing ever since I can remember. So writing and storytelling was always part of my general makeup, if you will. Um, but as far as movies, um, I just, I knew that I wanted to come to Hollywood, uh, at some point, I think it just clicked, uh, some movies that kind of really just pushed me over the edge and, and they're, and they're weird, weird <laughs> movies that not weird, but, uh, <laughs> interesting enough was, uh, well, Nightmare on Elm Street was always, the original was always an influential movie. So yeah. we'll all start with that. But the movies that kind of 
pushed me uh, between high school and college, first year of college, to actually move out to Hollywood um, was Scream, the okay. Screaming film, yeah. and uh, Good, Will, Good Will Hunting, which was uh, two Boston boys that you know wrote and started a movie, and it was just kind of an inspirational thing. I was going to school in, in Massachusetts and grew up in Massachusetts, so it was that thing where it was like, I, I saw people that I admired doing it, and uh, it just kind of made sense. I don't know. I, I started reading screenplays, and I thought the medium was really interesting. Kind of gravitated towards it pretty quickly, and just started to. Um, I, I've also, at a young age, I was always. Uh, I've read a lot of actor biographies, mm-hmm. so um, like more older actors like you know, Brando, uh, Monty Cliff, um, James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Louis B. Mayer. Uh, all these. He's not an actor, but um, but I just fascinated with just the, the mindset of these icons that you know we grew up watching um and gone over generation and generation still hold up some of the movies that these these you know legends have done still hold up so i was fascinated so i've been fascinated by actors um being in the theater i think dialogue was you know really interesting to me and i was able to kind of uh run with that in my own writing so i think that's the long-winded answer to your question is to uh <laughs> I, I, I mean the short of it is i moved out to hollywood with a high school girlfriend who was trying to be an actress so the kind of was like the perfect storm for the two of us to move out um for her to pursue acting and i actually was pursuing acting initially as well so but i figured out pretty quickly that i was a far better writer than i was actor <laughs> and uh, or and it was also it was a lot easier for me to be rejected uh for something that was on the page <laughs> versus doing these auditions and just, just they were just maddening so i was like yeah I don't really maybe we'll revisit this at some other point in my life but uh that was back in 1999. I moved out to Los Angeles. So I've been out here for uh, 20, 20, 21 years. I think I just wow. passed the halfway point of my life. So I think I'm now officially more Los Angeles than yeah. Massachusetts. <laughs> in terms of, I'll always be Massachusetts, but uh, officially the time in my life has been more here, which is crazy. It's hard to believe. It's like oh, yeah. Because this yeah. is something that we only see in the movies over here in the UK. Of, of people moving, you know, across to the West Coast to, to get into the movie business and everything. Is it, does it really make that much of a difference of moving there to the West Coast? Because like I say, we just see it in the films. We don't know if it, if it does work or not. We just, it's something we see. So what was it like? What's what's the benefit you're getting of, of moving over there? You know, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a, another director um, about this. Um, I don't think it has the same uh, kind of weight that it used to mm-hmm. uh because hollywood has kind of moved all over the country yeah. and all over the world for that matter so you know places like atlanta that have popped up and, and georgia in particular are, are big film places new mexico um places like that so i think that now it's almost if you have a couple actor friends it's almost counterproductive to be in los angeles <laughs> as an actor because so many <laughs> so many shoots go out of state for tax incentive purposes and they don't carry, they won't fly out an actor who's kind of up and coming or middle of the road. They'll pay for, you know, the big ticket actors to to fly out there and then they'll hire local talent because places like New Mexico, places like, you know, again, Atlanta have all these great actors, writers, directors that, that are local that live there. Um, so they're not going to fly people out. So I, I think for me, when I moved out though, 99, you, you had to, um, yeah. you know, the whole idea was either New York or, or, Los Angeles, and I think being so close to New York, um, it was just the you know, the Hollywood star kind of sunshine palm tree. Yeah. <laughs> Los Angeles sounded more interesting to me, uh, even though I before we started started telling you how much I missed the uh, cold weather um, <laughs> as as I'm sweating over here. <laughs> but but yeah, I think at the time, uh, you know, it was there was still stories of people being discovered, you know, at a, at a drugstore and, and becoming mm-hmm. famous and stuff like that. I think that's less and less now. And I think you can, if you're talented and you're in, the, in a certain spot, I, I don't suggest trying to, every, every story is different. So I don't want to yeah. uh, encourage anybody that's listening, that's you know, living in a small town in wherever. Um, all it takes is a great script or, or, or talent or great audition. That's the other thing we talked about um, technology. A lot of auditions now are, are all uh, self tape uh, yeah. video that yeah. the actors do from wherever. Um, and then send them in. So yeah, the idea of having to meet, you still obviously have to hop on a plane and things like that if you're there with a part. But uh, I think it just really opens up doors for people that maybe can either can't afford to move to Los Angeles because the cost of living is pretty outrageous. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, for whatever reason, they're they're living in the place that they want to live or, or have 
the family that they're raising. I think, I think so. I think technology and the evolution of the film industry has kind of taken away the importance to live here in Los Angeles. Yeah, because of course, when you moved, the internet was in its infancy still, wasn't it? It's not like it is now. Right, yeah. And people were still trying to figure out things. I mean, web series were were, were <laughs> just barely starting. Uh, I did a web series in 2000 that, that got some traction. And by the time we did, I think our episodes were like eight to nine minutes, but that was pretty unheard of at the time. It was always like these little yeah. quick comedy sketches that were, you know, a minute, two minutes or whatever for the YouTube crowd. And we were like, no, why don't we do it? A narrative, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and we actually uh, did a, a you know, narrative web series, which was now it's the norm. I mean, now there's mm-hmm. these web series that have these massive budgets, and, and uh, you know, it's a whole other medium. So um, it's it's good. I mean, there's more content, um, which makes it better for for storytellers and filmmakers to to get their stuff made. I think uh, it's also a lot of stuff to, to filter through when you're looking for something. I find myself <laughs> oh, yeah. spend more time on Netflix or Amazon Prime, like looking at oh, what yeah. I versus actually watching something it's, it's like i was magic. doing that last night <laughs> yeah i'm just like maybe this maybe this and it becomes like this kind of ocd thing where i'm looking for like the perfect movie that i want to watch and then like an hour or two have gone by and i've done nothing it's like <laughs> this is ridiculous it's too much crazy. it is so one of the early things you did then when you got to the west coast you said with the web series what projects did you get involved with and then how did that get you in into the movie business you know um when i had moved out um uh, i got a manager pretty quick i met at sunday at the sunday film festival and i was writing some screenplays and we had one go out to market and got some traction so we had, had a couple of meetings uh, but then stuff kind of started to slow down and then there was a writer strike uh, the wga oh yeah uh, yeah strike and I, I don't remember the year it's 2000 2001 2002 somewhere thereabouts and um i had queried a, a manager uh, named christopher sherman who, who has a company called rooster films uh to, to rep me as a writer and as an actor and um he said you know there's a writer's strike going on <laughs> we want to my partner and i want to make this web series with you and, and you're writing i had a writing partner um who i good friend of mine charles huttinger who did hangman uh, with me amongst um, bunch of other screenplays uh together we wrote uh, this web series for for chris and his partner at the time and then they went and shot it and i produced it as well and um it was adventurous it was serial killer very dark uh web series that um, west craven actually endorsed um uh, for halloween I, I don't know if you noticed but every year in halloween youtube or at least they used to youtube lets some horror master pick uh what's going to be on the front page of youtube and okay. so one of the eight videos that he had picked that year was one of our episodes. And I just remember thinking like, this is the greatest thing ever. Oh, and yeah. I was so excited. And, and it was at the time it was amazing. And, and um, it was pretty uh, inspirational because I mean, he, I looked up to him. Uh, Night Round Street was the horror movie that kind of put me into that genre in terms of uh, loving horror as, as in, the, in a movie uh, medium. Stephen King, uh, the author was probably my first introduction to actual horror, but mm-hmm. uh after that, um, Chris actually ended up rep- repping Charles and I and was my manager uh, for over a decade or even more so. And he actually produced um, Hunter's Moon with me as well. Uh, so he's like a brother to me at this point and a uh, family. And uh, yeah, so next thing that after the web series was uh, Charles and I just wrote script after script after script after script after script. And Chris would take them out and we would get some meetings and no one would ever buy them. And then uh, I think the next thing that actually kind of popped for us was Hangman, uh, the Pacino movie, um, that was optioned by Arnold Rifkin. And, uh, and then eventually after the option, five and a half years later was made into a movie, um, after 6,000 rewrites and wow. different castings. And I'm exaggerating, being a little facetious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the time it, it felt, I'm not, it, it was quite a bit of rewrite. It, it, just to give you an insight of, of Hangman was originally a found footage script. That's how long, Oh wow. Uh, had written it uh, very meticulously. Um, the Britney Snow character was behind the camera for 90% of the movie when we initially had written it. And uh, so every camera movement was in the script. Every time the camera would power down for us to cut to certain things, um, that was all written in there very meticulously. Um, and at the time, uh, Travolta was actually circling it to do it as a found footage uh, movie. And different directors were looking at it and through the evolution, I think found footage kind of came and went, and uh, a couple of directors kind of got interested. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's actually a British director, a UK director, a great director named Phil Hawkins, um, out there in the UK with you guys, 
who was uh, really instrumental in kind of helping us shape how the story ended up changing. And at one point was uh, circling to direct as well. Um, and then, yeah, then I got involved and the rest is kind of history. You can go down that road as much as you want or as soon as you want, but it's, uh, that's probably the, uh, that was the big thing that uh, at the time I thought was going to like launch my career into the stratosphere. It didn't necessarily happen, and, but it was, it helped me push, it helped push me along with a gentle nudge from Chris Sherman to, uh, to direct because I wanted to do that anyway. Yeah. So the kind of, uh, the fact that Hangman didn't, you know, push me into that next uh, level of career kind of made me say that, all right, let's go direct and produce and do some of our own stuff and get a little creative, which is the other evolution. I think for independent filmmaking is, is, uh, very rare. It, it, people, it's influence It's very beneficial for people to have more than one hat and to yeah. be able to do more than one thing. So, you know, you see a lot of writer directors, you see, uh, writers that are producing their own things. You see actors that are producers. And I think that's just kind of the nature of a beast, uh, for, for good or for bad. Um, uh, so yeah, so Hunter's Moon was the next thing. And I wore 15,000 hats on that project. <laughs> and, uh, in between the two, uh, Chris and I sold, uh, a film that's actually coming out soon in Mexico. It's a Mexican film, uh, called Sin Origin, originally called Unsourced that, uh, Rigo is a director that did a movie, uh, called Cam 31. It's a fantastic, Mexican horror movie if you've ever seen it. Um, he's translated it into uh, Spanish and then they shot it. It's a, it's a vampire. Uh, I'm really dumbing it down, but it's a, it's a horror, it's a vampire movie that's uh, really fantastic. Rigo is visually just such a stunning director. Uh, I saw a cut of it and was really floored with what he was able to do. So that's supposed to be coming out uh, relatively soon. So that was in between Hangman and Hunter's Moon. And, and uh, so yeah, I got a lot of things kind of happening. A TV show uh, that's streaming, talking yeah. about technology uh pop star uh tv um so a tv show that i was shooting in armenia when uh when we were forced to come back to the states under current situation and so we were able to at least get the first season down so the first eight episodes are okay. uh out there and then we'll go back and finish the last eight and it's a 16 episode uh, series that i wrote and uh, co-directed with a fantastic uh armenian director named Hayek. Well, it's good that it's good that you're so busy and all this is going on, you know, despite the hiccup that the world's having at the moment, as you know, a lot of things have been put on hold. I was interested with Hangman though, because I think a lot of people are still not aware of the time and and the heartbreak of if, when you do a script and they say it could be optioned. And you said it was what it was five and a half years before it actually went in, into production. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, we thought it was going to be pretty greenlit pretty quickly, uh, especially when Travolta was looking at it and. Uh, I think Pete Travis, who's a, another UK director, um, was originally looking to look to do it, and then he ended up. And his wife had uh, twins, uh, babies, mm-hmm. but I think it kind of took him off the market for a while. And in the meantime, then, uh, then like I said, the found footage kind of the bottom fell out, and I think Arnold uh, Rifkin uh, was smart enough to know that, like, you know, we need to tweak this and change it. Yeah. The market's just not there anymore. Um, so then we went back into the the drawing board and yeah it is i think that's the thing is people see this pacino movie with carl urban and Brittany snow yeah, yeah. and you know they think that uh you know we're, we're living the highlights and that it's just this great experience and it certainly was um a great experience but there's a lot of pain that goes into it and there's a lot of pickups and there's just time and it's just uh you know at the time when it was some point between when it was optioned and, and made uh i took the leap of faith when i talked to my wife and um, I was running restaurants. I was a, a chef and a, a general manager for restaurants here in Los Angeles and uh, just working too many hours and not doing any writing and, and not being mm-hmm. creative. I mean, the, the preparing food is certainly creative and that was fulfilling, but um, I thought Hangman was like, you know, I was going and it was like, all right, now it's time to, to jump. And then <laughs> I jumped certainly a little earlier than in hindsight. Uh, we were fine. We made it through, but yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it was kind of a little nerve wracking for a while when, when I'm looking at Hangman and it's just not getting made. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, then it gets made and then it's in post forever. And, and Oh yeah, uh, of course, of course. It seemed to be in post for quite a bit too. So there was, um, there was all that. And then, and then, you know, when I did Hunter's Moon, I got a firsthand experience even more so dialed in to see, you know, all the hiccups and things that can happen and all the, the hurdles that filmmakers go through, um, which now I'll never, ever, ever bash a film. I don't care how bad it is. Uh, I'll never do one of those worst movies of the year. 
I won't do any of that stuff because just getting a movie made mm-hmm. now in particular is just a miracle yeah. uh, from my own personal experience. But then just, you know, you, filmmakers don't get to put an asterisk next to their film saying like, you know, my lead actor was sick for four days and we lost them or, or, or uh, yeah, the, some of the financing fell through or whatever, or it rained and we lost two days of shooting. I'm just making up none of the, none of those specific things happened to me personally, and not, but I'm using them as examples. Um, so when you're seeing a film, people are just, they, they just see the finished product and that's fair. I mean, that's what, the, you know, they're there to, to be entertained. So I don't expect them to have to know all the ins and outs of movies, but, but there are some interesting stories uh, with, with almost, I assure you with every film that's ever been made that I think oh, people yeah. would go, wow, that's how amazed you ever got the film made, which <laughs> I keep saying to myself, I'm amazed I ever got my film made um, in, in a good way. I, I push forward, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the, there is a lot of heartache. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's a grind. Yeah, it's, I mean, because we talked it's... about technology, and one one of the downsides of it is that everybody's got a voice, everybody's a critic, everybody can get their, right. the, well, what they think is fact, but they've got to get it into heads. It's just their opinion, even though they think it's fact about about movies or whatever they're talking about. So that that's a downside to it. But I'm just always appreciative, like you said, anybody that gets the product done, You've just got to you've just got to salute them because you've done it. You've got your, your product out there, and with Hunter's Moon, like say you wore you wore everything. You you were director, producer, you wrote it. It's I mean that must have been stressful as it was going on. Surely with juggling all those balls at the same time. Yeah, and, and actually, and we 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 shot Hunter's Moon in, in two parts. Uh, one of the stories, the, the asterisks, if you will, we're putting an asterisk next to it. You know, we started shooting. Uh, in 2017 and we we stopped we needed to get some more financing and we, we luckily had some great um finance partners that allowed us to go shoot as much as we could for what we had so that we could come back and cut a trailer together because i, I kept coming up against uh, potential investors saying you know first time director uh, we're not mm-hmm. sure we want to invest and so i said well let me let me go show what i can do in terms of production value at this budget point put together a trailer and uh, we actually ended up um, recasting the sheriff role throughout that process, which added more time. Uh, so we actually started in 2017 and there was a, a year plus break and then uh, almost two years. And then 2019, we finished. So half of the movie is shot in, well, I'd say less than half at this point because of the reshooting, but um, part of it was in Kentucky and then part of it was in the Los Angeles area uh, with the recast of the sheriff. So everything that was shot had to be redone. Wow. So we did kind of a crash shoot. Uh, we actually, I used a second, a different DP because my original DP wasn't uh, available. So there's two, two DPs on the project. Um, the good part, though, weirdly enough, is because the actors had met each other for the, the days that we shot in Kentucky, they all kind of stayed in touch, you know, different, uh, some more than, than others. But so the, the family unit in particular, uh, when we got to shoot back in 2019, everybody was like, it's like they'd known each other for an extra two years or a year and a half or whatever it was. So I think the, the I think some of the performances, um, whether it be the, between the three brothers or between the family unit, uh, the Delaney's, I think organically, uh, the, between the actors and actresses, um, the relationships kind of grew. So when they got yeah. on set, I was also really blessed. I couldn't have finished the film if I didn't have the professional actors that I had because they were all off book. They were all prepared. Uh, we, we had some crazy shoot days where we had massive page counts. Uh, we were flying um, just to get it in the can because we knew we had to finish. And so uh, I was really blessed. And I had a great crew. Um, and both DPs were fantastic. You know, and, and the people in the supportive crew around me, the, my fellow producers, uh, you know, really helped out as well. So it was definitely a labor of love. Uh, it was challenging. And, um, you know, we had budget restraints too. I think you're talking about people reviewing it and stuff on the internet. And people were like, oh, why is Thomas Jane doing this movie? And it's like, because he liked the script. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, I have to ask him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, not every movie has a 20 million, you know, give me $20 million and I'll go reshoot Touches Moon and it'll be different. You know, that's just the, the nature of the beast. Yeah. So um, I just had a story to tell and, 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 you know, limitations like everybody else. This is the box that I was inside of. And, and I, I wanted to make a fun movie. And I think that's what I succeeded in doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel confident about it. And there's good reviews, bad reviews. Good people like it, people don't like it. It's the same thing with Hangman. I mean, there were some. Great reviews, and there were some brutal reviews, and there were some personal attacks at the screenplay, which I thought was on Hangman, which I thought was baffling because yeah, why, no one reads why the screenplay. <laughs> well, no one gets to read the screenplay, so it's like, <laughs> when did how did you get the screenplay? I didn't get the screenplay, so how are you talking about the writing? Well, mm. the dialogue's bad. Well, I, 
was on set telling so-and-so not to, you know, that, that's not how it works. I think some of the things that drive me nuts about like reviewers in general is some of them are really authentic you know, fans of film. Mm-hmm. I think some of them just like to just bash stuff oh, yeah, in general, yeah. look at some of the other reviews and there's nothing positive. And I'm like, how can you review 15 movies and hate everything? That just makes, why you're in the wrong business. The other thing is, is like, they haven't been on set. So they don't know anything about filming. It's like, you know, if you knew anything about filmmaking, screenwriters have very little, mm-hmm. once we hand the script over, that's, that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. luckily, luckly with Hangman, you know, Johnny was a great friend and a great director. Um, I was, you know, kind of involved with some of the rewriting, but it's still, you know, I'm not on set telling the actors that they can't improv and, and do things like that. Like, so there's, you know, there's one woman in particular that, I had like an agenda for her review and was mad that I was, oh, was a male God. screenwriter and female screenwriters weren't getting enough opportunities, even though Hunter's, and I invited her out to set for Hunter's Moon, which is basically a female empowerment movie. Um, because she didn't, I, I felt personally attacked. I said, you don't know me. I was raised by my mom and my grandmother predominantly. Mm-hmm. I, I know strong women. That's all I know in my life. I try and write strong women in my films because that's, that's I'm, I'm far from, you're right. There should be more female screenwriters, but I'm not, I'm not a problem. I still have to work and feed my family. She was literally like, I can't believe he's got more stuff in the pipeline. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> that's my job. And we're going into it. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so she ended up blocking me on Twitter. So that's my, uh, my experience with, uh, that's the negative Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> crazy. Uh, with Hunter's Moon as well, one one thing I liked about it was, and this is not, I don't want to give any spoilers away for anybody that's not watched it. Things happen towards the end. And I really appreciate the fact that with practical effects, I love practical effects. You know, I grew up yeah. Ray Harry Harrison with state of the art and, and carrying on from that. I mean, I've got nothing against CG. Uh, I, for me personally, the best CG effects is after you've watched it. And then you find out later from a documentary or something that was CG. They go unnoticed rather than the yeah. in your face, big effects. Give, give right. me miniatures, give me model work, give me actors in suits, give me prosthetics every time. So I loved it that, things that happened without giving it away yeah. it was the practical effects so what was it like putting that together was there at any point i know you got budget restrictions was there any thought that it could be cg and then how did you go about with actually doing this practical effect yeah i mean um vincent costani is the uh is the special effects i'll say creature because the cover clearly is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Creature, uh, creature effects um artist Brilliant guy. His team was fantastic. Uh, he's worked on a lot of great movies, a lot of big movies. We were really lucky. He's a, a, a friend of um, of Clayton Turner's, one of the other producers. So we we met Vincent. We kind of talked, and, and I was pretty specific that I, I didn't want to do uh, you know, CGI or, or mm-hmm. there were some things in post that I obviously had to uh, like some of the blood and things like that. I, I I upped a little bit or I tweaked and I, I kind of accented. But yeah. um, like you, I've just always been a fan of practical whenever possible mm-hmm. and so yeah he went and he built uh this creature and and um the stunt uh, guy in the actual suit uh, is a guy named lucky great stunt uh, guy uh he's walking on stilts so the the, the height of the okay. creature is like nine feet plus you know uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> pretty imposing and mm-hmm. it was really kind of cool yeah, yeah. Uh, to see in person and uh the, and it was you know all the fog and smoke and everything like that uh, lucky had very limited peripheral vision on yeah, it so there's a there's a scene without ruining it where there's uh, some actors that kind of get pressed uh, up against the back of the car and they can't mm-hmm. move. Um, right before they shot, I didn't know this. Something else to me, Vincent went up to uh, to, to uh, Jay Moore is one of the actors. Basically said, uh, if Lucky steps on your foot, he's gonna it's gonna break. <laughs> so so the first thing, is, so I was like, man. After I was like, Jay, that's great. You look, you know. I wasn't acting, man. He told me this, and I, so I, I was looking at my feet, and they were. Like, thin, and I, was like, I was like, "Oh, that's fantastic!" So it was like, "Yeah, it was really, really kind of cool." And Vincent's such a, a consummate professional too that he was, you know, uh, very hands-on, and, and he brought his team out, and, and I think we shot that stuff over the course of two days. Um, and and the, the other part too was I wanted to do a movie. You know, some of the negative uh, feedback is that you don't see enough of the, the, the creature, and it's I did that. That's in the script. That's how it was yeah. always meant to be. And that's the, you know, Jaws was a huge influence to me in regards to, you know, I know that looking at documentaries, speaking of documentaries, that they didn't show much of the shark. That was an accident because yeah, they yeah. couldn't get the shark to work. But it turns out to be the brilliancy of the movies. It that, works, you know, yeah. See it. So uh, writing the script, that was in the back of my mind. I didn't want to show much of it. And I just wanted to have this one great reveal at the end. And um, 
yeah, that, that's that's how it was. And so, yeah, it was here was this nine foot tall guy on stilts with the wicked creature suit on, and we had a lot of fun, and it was it was really cool. Uh, oh, I bet cool. I bet you had a lot of fun. It looked like it was fun. What was it like for you the first day on set when you know you like I said you're director, you've written it, you're producing it. Was it? It must have been a little bit of apprehension, maybe. Um, I think. I lived with the idea of making the movie, the idea to, to start directing and producing this. It, it took like, it took almost like a year from when we made that decision. Cause initially we, we had, Arnold had put us in touch with a, a, a financier that was just, we were going to do everything through that production company. And we were trying to cast and we couldn't get cast attached in order for the financing to trigger. And so at some point we walked away from that, that, uh, that kind of package deal. And we went and decided to do it ourselves. Cause at that point I had been, connecting with so many actors and uh, Jay got involved and we became uh, really good friends with Jay and all the people that were reading it were like, all these actors were like, this is great. I want to do it. So it was still like, so I think I had pushed so hard and I, I worked so hard. And that was, by the time we got to set, it was almost like a relief. That was like the easiest yeah. part for me in a weird way, because I had done the legwork, I'd done the homework. Uh, and, uh, and Lucas is the first DP he and I had done a lot of, prep for shot lists and stuff like that prior to shooting. So when we got to set, you know, we kind of, you know, the legwork, I'd already done a lot of the, the, the prep um, in regards to how it was going to be. So I met with all the actors prior, I chatted, we, you know, we got over the script. So we, we, were, we were ready. Um, there was some last, last minute <laughs> actors were flying in at the last minute. So it was, it was almost like organically hectic. So I didn't have time to, to panic yeah. guess, in a weird way. Probably the, after the, the first night of, first morning because we shot mostly nights um when i was back in my hotel room i think that's when it might have hit me like holy <laughs> crap like like we're doing this and like just like now it was like a breath after you know 12 hours of filming like finally allowed myself to eat something and <laughs> use the bathroom and like you got to take a shower and yeah. like, well and then you know then after that that was the other benefit of uh, the break in between shooting hunter's moon uh, i got to work on a tv show here in los angeles uh, originally, I did a polish on the script, and they had me on set uh, because it was ten episodes. It was a spec. They were shooting. They were block shooting it, so uh, it was like six hundred and thirty pages was the script. They had me on set in case any of the actors were like, "What did my character do?" You know, four scenes prior to this because they shot out of order. Um, and at some point, the producer said, uh, "Do you direct as well?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." And they said, "Well, we need a second unit director." Oh, you want to do it? I said, sure. And yeah. you know, second minute, I'm thinking that I'm going to be doing like B-roll and, you know, establishing shots and stuff. And I get the call sheet and it's actual scenes with like the main cast. And I'm going like, well, this isn't really second unit directing, but okay. Um, and it's a, it's a great cast too. I got to work with some great actors. Um, but in that process, I, I met the other DP that ended up finishing Hunter's Moon. And we were, because of the budget restraints and the time for that shoot, we were shooting crazy page counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, with TV in particular, there's less uh, time. You, you don't really do um, shot lists for stuff because you don't really know locations sometimes until the day of. And sometimes, sometimes, like we had one location, it was supposed to be a library, and we showed up and it was a burger joint that they had booked. Oh, I said, like, my God. how the hell am I going to make this work? You know, so I'm <laughs> like, like, it's like, so you have to kind of like, it's kind of like one of these things. So luckily, um, Ben Cuffin was the second DP, was, was fantastic. He and I had shot, I want to say almost. 40 days on this TV show, um, these fr- frantic page counts and, and just like getting like weird curveballs like that. So when Ben couldn't do, uh, so when Ed couldn't do Hunter's Moon, I said, Ben, I have a crazy project. I need to finish. I, can you look at another DP's work and, and mimic it? And, and it, Ben's like, well, yeah, that's what we did on the TV show for the first unit director. Mm. And DBA said, all right. So uh, yeah, Ben came in and at that point we, we become good friends too. So it was almost like we were finishing each other. See, we just knew, we knew what the expectations were. We knew how to compliment each other. We also knew how to, well, we, we, butt, we would butt heads creatively and, and yell at each other and then get over it and move forward and be better <laughs> for it. But it's, uh, so it was almost like everything, the timing was kind of, and I, and I was a much better director at that point. Um, I, like I said, I shot 40 some odd days with these great TV actors yeah. and, uh, just evolved in, in style and in shooting style and, and how to work with actors and everything was, you know, I'm still learning. I think that's the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing with any profession, obviously. Um, and anything in life. So I tell my kids, like, you know, 
continually learn. Even if you're Spielberg or Scorsese, I'm sure those guys are still learning new things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was luckily everything kind of happens for a reason, and I, I don't think I would have been able to finish Hunter's Moon had I not been able to do that TV show in the first place and gotten to that place uh, where I was able to shoot like that. So we shot. Uh, this is a look behind the curtain. We shot 80, 88 pages over eight days. Wow. Which, you know, in a perfect world, you're looking for four to six page shoot days. And we were, I, one day we did 16 and we, we did some pretty crazy things. So yeah, uh, but we had to, we had to finish. So it was the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's my asterisk story <laughs> for one of them. This is much of the movie. <laughs> Have you got any tips for anybody that wants to get into to writing or directing? Uh, yeah, writing, I think, the biggest tip, because I didn't go to school, I went to college for business um, for a year and a half and then figured out that I wasn't going to, and it actually, it helped me out. I've always been into, into business, so it's helped me out with the producer side of things on this, but I think writing, the main thing is just read as many screenplays as you can that from produced movies. Mm-hmm. So you watch the movie and then you, you read the produced screenplays. So you can just kind of, writing, I'm evolving as well. I mean, I've probably written, I did a lot of ghostwriting jobs after I left the restaurant. So I've probably written 50 plus screenplays at this point mm-hmm. in my career. Um, some have my name on them, some don't, but I'm still learning, but I think I never went to school for it. I read a couple of the books, the how-to books, and then I realized I just felt very like, I'm just so bogged down. There was so much, mm-hmm. just, I just want to see it versus like, don't tell me, just let me like, and you know, the good books have snippets of actual screenplays in it anyway. So I just started talking about the internet you can find just about almost every any screenplay yeah. out there um that's not like under wraps or whatever um so i just you know i wanted to write a story that was similar to uh, and hangin was inspired immensely by seven charles and i you know are, are huge fans of seven i think it's a perfect movie so obviously you know i, I read i read the seven hundreds of times yeah. not hundreds but you know and, and saw how uh, walker did it and um and then you know other serial killer movies just to get beats and, and and then you start to evolve and find your own voice so i think that's it is it's you can kind of um, mimic someone to a, to a, to an extent i mean all great writers in all mediums i mean there's stories i'm a huge hunter s thompson fan and there's stories where he would be uh drugged up and, and literally retyping the great gatsby uh just to see how it felt to write you know f scott Fitzgerald's words and i'm thinking like that's insane to me i mean why would you write literally sit there typing out another someone else's novel. But that was the level of like intimacy that he had with, you know, the, the heroes of, of his you know, mind in terms yeah. of writing. So, but I think, you know, um, I read a, a great uh, action movie, the, the original draft of um, Death Wish, the remake with Bruce Willis was written by Joe Carnahan, who's a fantastic writer, director. Um, and I, I got a, I was able to get the original draft and you know, sent a message to, to Joe, like, this is, this is the best action script I've ever read in my life. This is amazing. And then I saw the movie and I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> well, totally different, but you know, the, the different director and Joe wasn't on the project anymore and the script was different. I just was like, I don't get it, but all right. Um, but yeah, Joe has an interesting way of uh, writing action, um, which interesting enough, I had already kind of started gravitating towards, but I was reading the way he wrote action because I'm, I'm not a big action guy. Um, since then, I've been writing some action stuff, which is interesting, but um, certain ways to, to fill the page. And there's going to be rules uh, for writers. They tell you, you know, take the, I think it's take the path of least resistance if you're a new coming writer, mm. unless you're Charlie Kaufman, which is, you know, one in a gazillion, try and somewhat stay in the box so you can get at least read. If you're so out there, it's somewhat hard to, you know, people don't. And then readers, that's the thing. Readers in Hollywood, it's a weird makeup because it's young people that are on someone's desk who you know i'm 41 years old now when i, I send a script out there's an 18 year old or a 19 year old or a 20 year old that mm-hmm. for all i know has no writing experience reading it, it's determining whether or not he's going to show it to their boss he or she's going to show it to the boss to me that's a weird but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense business-wise to me but that's how it's been done forever so uh, so that i mean that's whatever you can do to keep that person from going like oh you know, yeah Give them, give them something familiar. I mean, Hunter's Moon is a prime example. The first half of that script is so cliche on purpose. Um, you know, it's the family moving away from the city. And, and if you've seen this a gazillion times, all these tropes that are 
for the genre. And then the idea is for me to flip them on the head. But anyone who's reading this is initially probably going like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. And then hopefully the idea is they can continue push and get to yeah. the end. But um, So that, that's for writing. And then I think for directing, it's um, it's a similar thing. It's like being on set and watching directors. I tried to get on set. You know, I was on set with Johnny for parts of Hangman and kind of watching what he was doing. Um, again, with the technology, there's documentaries. There's like, you know, I just watched a great Sydney Lament documentary on uh, Amazon Prime like a couple nights ago just to hear, uh, you know, someone that started with 12 Angry Men and to hear how he got that movie and then you know, ended with, well, I think he might have ended with Before the Devil Knows You Dead, but and everything in between and all the Pacino movies and just to hear his, you know, uh, again, reading too. You know, I read a, yeah. a lot of Ule Kazan books. Uh, he has about one. I mean, obviously that's a little bit of a dated style in terms of the theater kind of translating to screen a little bit, but Ule Kazan, there's one book where he breaks down every character and every movie and how he, you know, the notes that he did and all that stuff, just to see how certain people attack certain things. Uh, for me, it was inspirational and, and very, uh, it was a very point experience in terms of learning how they do it. But yeah, as far as, and I, I'm also being honest with yourself as a director, the first thing I do when I'm talking to a DP is I tell them I'm not a technical guy. I, I over the time I've, I've learned lenses and things like that, but I can, it's more about me working with the actors because that's my comfort zone. Yeah. Knowing, how to tell a story because most times it's my script, but I'm going to lean on the, knowing that the DP understands. I'm going to say, this is what I'm going for. You know, what do you got? And, and having that collaboration. So for, for up and coming directors, even if you've gone to film school, uh, you know, for every David Fincher, there's you know, Tarantino. Who, if, it's, it's not, if there's a chance to watch uh, in the director's chair. Yeah. Yeah. Robert is uh, fascinating. I learned quite a bit. I mean, Tarantino's experience for Reservoir Dogs is you know, just to hear that story is amazing. Mm. Um, so there's like Tarantino on this side again, who's like me, who has no technical. Now he does, obviously. Mm. But and then David Fincher, who, you know, the story is that Ben Affleck on, on Gone Girl uh, messed with the camera, just tweaks one little minor thing just to see if Fincher would even notice, and Fincher noticed immediately <laughs> because he's you know, that drawn in. So yeah. I guess it's the, the big advice is. Realize what your strengths are. Realize what your weaknesses are. Don't be afraid of those weaknesses because that's uh, filmmaking is a very collaborative process. Whereas like writing, it becomes a collaborative process whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, which is the other thing. Just know that when your golden script that you turn in as a writer is going to be changed a gazillion times with or without you. Um, so just be prepared for that. And it's not always for the best. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, but as a filmmaker, it's a it's a it's a massive collaborative process from every single department head to the actors. And everybody has a voice and depending on your personality, uh, you know, if you're open to collaborating, you know, collaborating, knowing that you're the final voice, I mean, obviously you ask for recommendations and stuff, you ultimately have to make the decision, but, um, because it is a direct speaking, but yeah, you learn, I learned more from, uh, the department heads on Hunter's Moon and on the TV show, like learning like things I had no idea. Just sit and watch and go like, oh, that's how you know. And, and you know, I had to do like some some fight stuff and uh, in, in Armenia, like I didn't, you know, look at stunt stunt people and things like that. I don't pretend to know. I mean, it's, there's a few times where I've gone on set and gone like, I have no idea how to shoot this. <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, and then talk to the DP and, and then talk to a stunt guy or talk to the actors. I mean, actors have some great ideas. They usually put a lot of work into it too. Um, and then yeah, it kind of comes together. So I think being humble while also having ego is you can't be a director without an ego. I think that's just a fact, yeah. but having enough humility that you know, you don't know everything and, and learn, be a sponge. Mm. You know, uh, I spent time with wardrobe and with makeup, and, you know, just, just how you doing this and just watching and listening and, and kind of grabbing that. And not because I want to go do any of those things. Um, but I think I learned that too in the restaurant. I, I, did every single thing you could possibly do in the restaurant all the way to, you know, down to, to washing dishes and would do those during shifts because I was never asking someone to do something that I wasn't yeah, willing good. to do myself. And there's a level of respect that way. Yeah. But also, you know, when you're talking to, I don't care if it's craft services or catering or whatever, they're all part of the, of the, of the filmmaking process. Yeah, yeah. Without that, can't, you know, I'll be honest, Hunter's, the second part of Hunter's Moon, we had a fantastic uh, catering guy named john and his food was fantastic and when you're doing those crazy shoots <laughs> everybody's burnt out the 
it's time for lunch, it's the middle of the night, and rushing through the other side. And you sit down, there's this great food. The morale either stays where it's at or it goes up. Yeah. Whereas if it's bad, it could go the other direction. Yeah. So I've seen that too. And so uh, I made sure I'm just super appreciative of John because I think he helped quite a bit. Yeah, it makes uh, a difference. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I like to eat too. I usually save it till after we shoot, but uh, but the food was fantastic. I take it home and it was great. Um, but yeah, I think, again, that's it. You have enough confidence to know what you want, but enough humility to ask mm-hmm. uh, others and to, to have it be an actual collaborative yeah. process. That's my advice for directors. All good advice, all good advice, definitely. Like I say, because, you know, you've done it, you're doing it, so these are the people you should listen to everybody you know people like michael who's, who's actually doing it I, I could talk to you for hours more i really could we'll have to get you back on the show at some point um, yeah man we can, we can keep going i mean I, i'm hoping people can understand me because i've drank enough coffee here that I'm, i feel like i'm talking a thousand <laughs> miles a minute that's uh that's me on set too I'm getting, I'm <laughs> i swear it's just coffee this is just black coffee right? <laughs> uh, if we did this at like midnight which i've done some of the other key stuff at midnight uh then it would probably be one coffee and one thing of whiskey maybe yeah there's, no, there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing wrong nothing wrong with that at all so what, what have That's, you got coming up now again we you know we've touched on everything's changed at the moment so plan plans are, yeah. are varying all the time so at the moment what, what do you know for sure that you've got coming up you said about the, you know the other episodes of the tv show and have you got stuff in the pipeline that's hopefully going to be happening either later this year or next yeah um so uh, the, the tv show is called purgatory it's on Popstar tv which is an app uh, you can get it on uh, Apple TV or you can do it on the Fire Stick or you can just go to uh, on the website. You can just, just Google uh, Popstar TV and they have a video section. And so uh, every Thursday at 9 p.m. UK, uh, U.S. time, Pacific Standard Time, a uh, new episode airs. There's only two episodes left of the first season. But if you go to the website, everything's on demand. So episodes one through six, you can watch. Uh, you can binge watch it now if you want. Uh, episode seven will be tomorrow night at nine. And then there's episode eight, which is the season finale, which will be the following Thursday. And then after after they're live on Thursday, on Thursday by Saturday, they're usually on demand. Um, we'll go finish that. And Armenia will go do the last uh, eight, eight episodes, some of which we already have some in the can. So the, the season two will be uh, sometime in the near future, I'm hoping. Uh, now I'm just kind of waiting for the Armenian government to say, yeah, come on in and mm. come film. <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, but then uh, the other thing I got going on is uh, Clayton Turnage, which is uh, one of the producers on Hunter, Hunter's Moon. It's also the supervising producer for Purgatory. Um, he and I had kind of partnered up, and, and uh, now we we were um, looking for a film that we could shoot during the time that we're in right now in regards yeah. to limited locations, limited actors, uh, kind of trying to do a skeletal crew and just be safe, obviously. Um, and somehow in that wheelhouse, the process came up that rather than doing one film, we have a bunch of friends or acquaintances that are filmmakers that are in the same boat we are. Why don't we try and put together a, a creative co-op is what we're calling it. Um, so we, we started a production company called a handful. It's a, more than a handful of productions and basically more than a handful. So five, mm-hmm. five, five films. <laughs> um, and we partnered up with a website called Inktip. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but inktip.com is a resource uh, for writers. It's another bit of advice for screenwriters. You have to pay a fee. I'm not sure what it is, but you can basically put your your log line up and producers go on there and uh, look for certain material and they can do search criteria. So we partnered up with them and we found these other four directors. I'll do one of the films. So there's five of us. We put them in this box and we gave them to a very specific, you know, has to be limited location. This is the budget, limited actors. And then we let the directors go through all of these submissions and find a script that they liked on Inktip. Mm-hmm. And so we partnered up with Inktip. So there's, uh, writers who have now paired with these directors and uh, the, the big picture was we wanted to sh- well, the main thing is we wanted to shoot now we didn't want to wait so that was the thing we had to keep working but the big picture was we wanted to all of these filmmakers have stories uh, the asterisk stories if you will of their experience because the, the requirement was they had to at least have done one film um, so a lot of them are up and coming and they've all done at least one film mostly just one um, all of us get together and fix the issues that we had on our individual production by collaborating with one another as filmmakers and okay. you know, the other side for the writers and for the filmmakers, I wanted the experience. I want the experience to be how I would have hoped my experience would be uh, making films. So some of the writers, are, this is the first script that they've ever had options and you know, I've gone down that road and I've saw the good and the bad. So let's have these writers have an experience that I had hoped might have been 
you know, yeah. all possible. Let's have them be collaborative throughout the entire process. Um, you know, so we had a Zoom call with all the writers and, and the producers were on the Zoom call. They all met each other and we had a, a separate Zoom call where all the directors were on the Zoom call. They all met each other. We talked about our individual projects that we picked. And, you know, uh, we were very specific. All of the films are, are in small boxes, but they're they're all different. There's a thriller, there's an action movie, believe it or not, and a bunch of fun that. Um, there's a kind of a David Lynch type movie that's uh, very interesting, quirky, and um, uh, there's a, a sci-fi one. There's, but we, we got very specific so that now we now that we have these packages that we put together with pitch decks and the scripts are done, we're sending them off uh, to financiers and to distributors to basically get the packages financed, and then we'll start attaching talent and going out with the casting director. And so that's, 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 that's been keeping me very busy that. And when I got back from Armenia, uh, all of the post was done in Armenia for purgatory. So uh, remotely this 12 hour time difference. Yeah. I was giving uh, feedback notes on, on cuts. So that, that was about 14 weeks for the eight episodes. So that kept me busy, but that in the, in the next project um, will be the rest of purgatory and my film for the slate and then clay and i will produce the other four films as well so now it's kind of just a race to see which film the uh distributors and five head series are going to green light <laughs> yeah. first and then it's to the casting director and then, then the whole uh thing that we don't know is what actors are going to work right now so yeah when yeah, we start out to uh to actors it's you know they might like the material and they might say yeah we're gonna wait depending on the actor um because part of the formula for us is they have to be named actors, at least one name actor in order for us to make the financing work for these yeah. projects. So, um, all of the directors have their target lists and they've been approved and vetted and things like that. So it's, um, I'm wearing more of a business hat, uh, which, but I do have a really great, uh, script that I picked to direct that, uh, the writer is, uh, a guy named Mari Suet and a fantastic writer. Um, so it, it's interesting too, because I've usually direct my own stuff or at least something that I put my, fingertips on yeah, a polish yeah. right or whatever um murray did this one and I, I gave notes but it's 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 exciting to see somebody else's baby mm-hmm. because i've been in murray's shoes uh, yeah yeah of course so it's like it's kind of cool so yeah that's uh, that's what keep me busy and um, then also i i started uh, i've always had a dream to to write a novel so i took one of my screenplays and i'm adapting it into a novel so that's been keeping me busy as well um because a novel's been a dream and, and it's just it's a whole different animal than yeah. <laughs> the screenplays and you know screenplay when i put i put the original screenplay into the novel format i think it was like twenty two thousand words and i was like whoa i have a ways to go <laughs> to get to that <laughs> i'm looking up like great american novels that uh you know what are the page counts to get to and i, I think uh i think the, lo- the lowest one i could find that i'll say it's great it is great but not a with Spike Club, I think it's like 47,000. And then The Great Gatsby that I was talking about is like 49,000. So, so but those are on the low end. I mean, yeah, yeah War and Peace is zillion. So it's like, yeah. it's, but if I get to the 47, 49,000, then I'll submit it. And the good news is I have a screenplay already written to go with it. So, uh, publisher, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just kind of doing it for me too. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're crazy. And uh, it seemed like a time to try and do it. And then <laughs> I have uh, three young kids. And a wife, so that keeps me pretty busy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're kind of all stuck here and uh, trying to entertain each other without driving each other nuts. And, yeah, that's something yeah. in itself, <laughs> just being it, able it, to do that. What's With it, all this, with all this it, going on, what's the best way that people can find and follow you online and keep up to date with everything? Uh, I'm probably most interactive on Twitter. Okay. Um, just at Michael Casey uh, at Twitter, which is uh, last name is C-A-I. S-S-I-E. But if you were to just do a Twitter search for uh, Hunter's Moon, I, I think my profile comes up because yeah. I have it. Yeah. Yeah, I like to interact with people. Um, I, I, I've talked to writers and fans and things like that just, uh, with direct messaging. I'm not opposed to that as well. Um, it's just a time thing, too. I think, you know, if people are respectful, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. And it's not that, I, not that I'm, people aren't banging down my door to, to direct message me, but there are times where I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff to answer. I try yeah. and I try and search out and if someone's watched Hunter's Moon or Purgatory or Hangman for that matter and they've said something nice, I try and comment because I just think that's, you know, like that's kind of a cool good. thing. Yeah, uh, also, yeah. like, the, 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 the social media is a blessing and a curse. Like, it drives me crazy and I like to get off some yeah. heads, but I think it's awesome that I can talk to like someone like Joe Carnahan or, or, or Lee Weddle, uh, you know, great writer, 
director, being able to direct message him and stuff like that that I wouldn't normally have mm. access to. Definitely. You know, ask. So, uh, so that's, yeah, I think that's hit me up on Twitter. This is the best, fastest way. I'm on Instagram. I've just started to do Instagram. I don't quite get it yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, but it's a little bit more of my personal stuff. I don't do a lot of business stuff on Facebook. Although it's changing a little bit. So yeah, uh, Twitter's the best one. Twitter's uh, the best one. I'll make sure to put that in the podcast notes and then people can get in touch with you after hearing this, which I'm sure they will. Well, yeah, thanks, thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, and it's, it's been great chatting with you. Like I say, we'll get you back on the show at some point. Uh, you've got lots more projects ahead. There's going to be a lot to talk about. And your book, of course, when the book's published as well. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll be happy. Anytime you want to have me on, if you have like a spot that someone's not there, you just hit me up. I'll, I'm glad to talk. We can talk about whatever you want. I see your, your Hellraiser guy behind you. Which is, oh, yeah, he's, yeah. Du- he's double-sided. It's Sometimes it's Chatterer. And then I'll switch them around, and it's Pinhead on the other side. So, yeah. very cool. Yeah, actually, um, I got to uh, I had coffee with Ashley Lawrence, and um, oh, okay, trying to find something to work with her on, and and just it's just amazing to see how Hellraiser is like, you know, it's just a part of her life, and she's actually a fantastic painter. Um, she's on Twitter if you ever look up her. She's an amazing painter, very very dark and, and twisted. And, yeah. And, it's very cool. She's really awesome. So I was, I was looking at that. It's very drawn. It's very like that's the thing with these Zoom and Skype calls. I'm realizing that I have like the worst background. I just got like <laughs> the city of, city of Boston and the ceiling fan, which is about here. And then there's like, you know, some pictures that my wife has up there or whatever. And then it's just like walls. I, I see people that have like yourself that have these great setups and or like uh, tons of books. All my books are downstairs. I was like, trying to figure out like, yeah, how yeah. can I do this to have books and make me look like I read a lot? So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but yeah anytime it's been great i really That's appreciate brilliant. the time if you want to just uh hit, hit me up i'll be happy to come on again i really had a great time we'll do definitely definitely well for just for the sake of the edit we will say goodbye but again michael thank you for giving me your time you've given some great stories some great tips for people as well to you know help them to get into the business if that's what they want to do so i look forward to having another chat with you soon likewise thanks man have a great one stay safe thank you and the alarm bell as always, brings to an end another interview show. Again, I hope you enjoyed that at least half as much as I enjoyed recording it. I do love doing these interview shows. And prepare your ears because there are plenty more interview shows incoming. If you follow us on our social media, you may already have an idea of what's incoming for you in the next few weeks. If you don't, get ready for a week Filled with Grimfest fueled interview shows. Yes, it's Grimfest in October. It will be the fifth year that I've covered it. And of course, like most film festivals this year, it's purely online. But that hasn't stopped our coverage of it. In fact, it's uh, added to our coverage of it because I've got a lot of interview shows with cast and crew from a lot of the different films. So I'll be announcing very soon a week long Grimfest interview special. Of course, the ways you can keep up to date with everything that we do, you can start off with the website, 60mw.co.uk. Just contact us from on there, and you can always email us direct, which we always love, contact at 60mw.co.uk. The Twitter and the Instagram is now at 60mwpodcast. Remember, we've had a few little name changes. That's all it is. If you follow us on either of those, you don't need to do anything. You just automatically follow. But both of those are now at 60mw podcast the website's still the same everything's on there news reviews podcasts ways you can save money and once again a few little things i'm going to ask you if you've got a few minutes to spare leave us a review the way you can do it is simple you just email it to us i'll put it on the page on the website you can buy through the affiliate links on the website if you're buying from amazon uk we've got one on there take a few extra clicks and not only are you still getting your stuff from amazon at the same price you'd normally pay you're helping us out a little bit too And of course, the world tour is back. Very easy to do wherever you're listening in the world. We'd love it if you take a picture with our card there. You can have a physical copy of the card. The way that you can do it is go to the world tour page on the website, or you can just download a digital version, put it on a phone or tablet or anything like that, and use that for the photographs. It would be brilliant to add more pins to there. And that's it for this show. 280, we're getting close to 300. And we have got so much more incoming. From September, I'm going to try a different release schedule. We're going to try to do Mondays and Thursdays, keeping a 
surprise Saturday slot free, should we need it, because we do get a built up of shows. We don't want to overwhelm you as a listener with too many. I know what it's like. I've got podcasts on my MP3 player dating back to 10 months ago, but I don't mind. They're not time sensitive, didn't cost me anything, and they're there for when I want to listen to them. So we're going to try on a Monday and a Thursday from September, excluding, of course, the Grimfest week where you're going to get one a day for a week. So until the next show, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>